Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. Here in episode number 57, we did a bit of a response discussion to a three-part series of podcasts on the cultist show called Defecting from Bethel with Lindsay Davis. After we listened to these episodes, we wanted to discuss some of the things said as well as the themes found throughout their discussion with Lindsay. While there is much more that could be analyzed about the interview, we only played a small selection of sound clips, but we used them as a springboard for a bigger discussion. We would encourage all of our listeners to listen to the entire series on the Cultish podcast and think through these topics as well. Without further ado, let's get into the discussion this week. Welcome, everyone, <laughs> to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined with my co-hosts, Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault and Cultish, the podcast. <laughs> Do they know uh, that they're they're on against their will? <laughs> well, they don't really believe in a will, so. Oh, low <laughs> blow! Right. Get a ton of those jokes. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. But we are. This is an episode. I'm not going to lie. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. This is going to be a, I think, part response to um, the cultish series on uh, defecting from Bethel, part one, two, and three. We uh, have a few clips that we're going to play for you guys and kind of respond to them in the moment. I think all three of us probably have pretty different perspectives on this um, interview with uh, Jeff and I'm not sure of the other guy's name. Oh, uh, Jeremiah Roberts is right in front of me from their, from Apologia Radio, which is a pretty reformed, um, I would say five-point Calvinist, you know, systematic theological background podcast where they expose all different kinds of cults and stuff like that. And frankly, I think they do, they do a lot of good work as well. I mean, I'm definitely going to pick on them throughout the interview, but that's more in jest. The reality is that they're still brothers. They still do good work. They love God. They love the gospel. So this is not designed to, you know, um, just to be, it's not designed to be rude, but I do think it's important that we kind of go through some of this stuff. Um, anyway, um, Rob, do you know the girl's name on this episode? I'm, I'm blanking on her name. Lindsay Davis. Okay. So here's kind of the background of kind of what got us here. So Lindsay Davis went to the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, also known as BSSM, where she was in the, in the thick of it, and she ended up getting kicked out because she started questioning certain things. And as she read Scripture, she believed that that Scripture was saying things that were um, uh, contradicting what Bethel was teaching and doing at the time. So she got kicked out for her views. And so uh, Jeff and uh, Jeremiah, who run the Cultish podcast, um, actually interviewed her over three parts. Um, and that's what we're going to respond to today. So I think that's a pretty fair explanation. 
Yeah, I think another disclaimer though, real quick, is just that we are going to be playing like small clips of this interview <laughs> that yes. we have like chosen out because they stood out to us for some reason and want to respond to them. And definitely not, it definitely doesn't give, I think, a real great picture of the whole interview. So if you're interested in that, you should definitely go listen to the whole thing straight through. Yes, that, uh, Jordan, thank you for bringing that up. I was going to mention a few caveats as well, and that was definitely one of them, that we are definitely picking out certain sound bites. And we, I picked out ones that I hope are as much in context as possible, but for sake of time, we can't play the whole thing because it's about a three-hour-long interview. But if you are interested, we'll put this, we'll put this, um, this interview in the show notes so you can listen to it. And I will also say as well is that just because, you know, maybe me personally or Rob have issues with how the interview was done or with some of the, uh, I would say like just pot calling the kettle black kind of statements that are made does not mean that I think that Bethel has like the best, the world's best theology or, or does everything right. So I want, I wanted to also say that because I don't, I don't want people thinking that this is, you know, a defense of Bethel. I think that Bethel has plenty of problems that you can find anywhere. That's not the point of why we're doing this. For me personally, I wanted to respond to this because I think that some of the things that are said here are way too extreme. And I think it's important to ask the question of like, when do we start calling people heretics? When do we start saying that, that, that someone has a true gospel and a false gospel? And I think you'll see that as, as the interview kind of uh, as we kind of go through it together, that, that there's just some statements that I just don't understand why they're so extreme. Yeah, we don't want our our discussion to come off as us attacking Lindsay, um, Jeff, or um, Jeremiah, or Apologia, or Bethel, or any of that. We just want to discuss everything that they discuss from a biblical perspective and see where things line up maybe where things don't line up and from our standpoint so we yeah just all of those disclaimers <laughs> right off the bat yes th <laughs> this is really more like commentary on just some of our thoughts on this interview so none of it's meant to be personal or meant to draw lines in the sand but i do think it's good to bring this stuff up. I personally have had a few friends who listened to these, this uh, interview and were like, wow, I didn't know that Bethel was so crazy. Like they really like might be preaching a false gospel kind of thing. And I do think as we kind of go into it, that while there definitely is concern for uh, Bethel's theology, there's concern for many <laughs> denominational theology all across the board. Now I'm sure we're going to, you know, Jordan and I will, and Rob will probably disagree on, on, on where those lines are drawn, but that's for me, one of the reasons why I wanted to respond to this because I think it was almost too extreme. And this interview paints Bethel in like the, in the worst light possible. Um, even though I think that, that they do a lot of good work. And it, it ties into that, Tim, you, I don't know if Jordan, if you watched it yet, um, the American gospel on Netflix. Mm -hmm. No. So that's, that is from kind of the same camp that Apologia and Jeff and Jeremiah would sit from is how that was produced and where that came from. Mm -hmm. But even in that movie, you saw very short sound bites from Bethel or even Elevation Worship and things were taken out of context and blown out. And I mean, I've listened to some of Elevation stuff. I don't, how they were painting them, I think, wasn't fair. And I think there's a lot of that going on here, too. Very good. 
Um, Jordan, anything you want to add before we, we get rolling? Uh, no, I think we could just jump in. Okay, so the first thing we want to play is uh, Lindsay's actual testimony. Um, that way you kind of know um, as the listener where, where she's coming from, kind of her background. And I think that plays a role in one of my, uh, one of my beefs or problems with this whole interview from the beginning. So I'm going to play this. It shouldn't be too long, maybe about 45 seconds to a minute, um, and we'll go from there. Let's hope this actually works, Rob. <laughs> Share a little bit about what happened before mm -hmm. I came to Bethel. Um, I grew up Roman Catholic, um, then I became an atheist. Um, and when I got saved, I actually got saved um, in a word of faith church. Mm -hmm. um, and it really wasn't the church that, you know, they didn't really present the gospel, but I started reading my Bible after going to that church and um, the gospel just was empowered by the Holy Spirit, by by God, and it changed my heart. Um, and so I went from there and I kept seeking the truth through the word, but I was attending this word of faith church and I felt like I wasn't getting the truth that I wanted. I wanted to be fed meat and not milk. I wanted to graduate from um, from what they were, you know, propagating. And so I found myself in a end times legalistic cult. And just to briefly summarize the experience, um, the leader of this cult told me that God told him that I was supposed to be his wife, that we were going to move to Africa and that I was going to be martyred. And so over the course of the six months that I was in this cult, um, I was preparing myself to die. And so eventually, um, I'm only 18 years old, by the way. And so, um, so how old were you when he told you this? 17. And he's, wow. yeah, I, it was, it was one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through. Mm. Um, I can't really describe what that experience was like. It's, uh, it's an experience that's hard to, that's hard to describe unless you're actually in in that moment, you know? And so um, it was really, really difficult. Um, but eventually my mom pulled me out of the cult, praise the Lord. But after I got out of this cult, I felt so empty and so dead inside. And now that I didn't have um, what I thought I had in this cult, I was searching for meaning and I was searching for purpose and I was searching for something to fill that void in my heart again. Yeah. Um, and so I had a friend at the church that I went to before the word of faith church, and she was going to Bethel school of supernatural ministry. All right, let's stop there. Cause that's where we get into how she got into the school. So right off the bat, this girl is 18. Now a year ago, or a little over a year ago, she was in a cult. So, I mean, I, here, here's what I'm trying to say. For someone who's 18, there's been like four or five spiritual belief system shifts from Roman Catholic, Word of Faith, cult, Bethel, and then out of Bethel to this like reformed theological belief system. I'm more concerned about this girl's, seriously, her mental health and her spiritual health than, than taking her and putting her on a, a podcast to bash a place where she just came out of after she was in the cult less than a year ago. Right. Yeah, that 
I definitely am right there with you, Tim. That was kind of one of my first things. It was like, all right, so we're starting this off by saying you have a history of getting into cults. And right. obviously nothing against her. And I, I understand how deceptive and manipulating cults can be. But it's been one succession after the next of, all right, you start in this cult, then you move to this cult, then you're moving to this cult. And as you've already said, it's, and with the episode we had with Leighton Flowers, we see the same cultish behavior in um, that kind of extreme reformist camp as well. Yeah. Um, my, yeah, exactly. I agree, Rob. My thought on, on her right away was like, oh my gosh, this girl has suffered serious right. yeah. emotional yeah. trauma and it needs, honestly, needs a healthy counselor to walk her through what just happened over the past couple of years because mm-hmm. i mean listen i'm i'm 30 and i <laughs> and i've had uh, over 10 years a crazy journey you know of having a process just being in one mainline faith belief system let alone going through three different changes by the time i'm 18 so i say that because right off the bat i i almost have a hard time like trusting her opinion only because it's obviously going to be very skewed given her history and that's right. not that's again I, I want to clear up it's not a personal attack on her i'm just saying like i don't know if this girl should be interviewed by two people who are very smart very wise and can almost lead her through the right mm-hmm. questions to get the answers that they want right it's time that where she's so vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah i'm not, um, not disagreeing with you but maybe kind of a counterpoint to that um that you don't really get from that clip is that she does seem to be very firm in what she believes now you know what i mean like throughout the interview like she brings up a lot of things that like um either she uh just kind of things that she believed that became solidified because of what she saw at bethel um and it seems to me that she like from what from that clip it definitely seems like she's kind of like being blown back and forth between these different things um i feel like from the rest of the interview though she seems a lot more firm in where she's at i i would agree but only to the point where it's language that you hear other people saying Um, totally what do you mean by that like it's almost as if they had paul washer on the on the podcast and he was projecting what he would believe about salvation or about these things or what jeff you're saying that you're saying that the phrasing and the things that she's saying are all sound real repetitive of other people correct okay and yeah i mean you'll hear her say several times they don't preach a real gospel then you'll hear then you'll, you'll hear jeff durbin say the same thing but there's no explanation of what of what that really is it's just a, it's just a term that they use right. that oh bethel's crazy they preach a false gospel whatever that is uh, yeah i, I mean, agree yes and no i mean they do get into that yeah <laughs> but but yeah just to say and she she definitely is firm in what she believes but if all i watched was friends episodes and i started quoting all of joey's lines i might be firm in my belief that i'm joey but Let's be real. I'm not Joey. <laughs> Extreme example, but okay. <laughs> well, I think what, what Rob's trying to say is that I know what you're saying, Jordan, but I don't know like how 
yes, she's saying the right things and she sounds firm, but given the track record, I don't know if that's re- if that's real or not. Like, sure. if, remember, this happened. She was interviewed almost like immediately after she got kicked out of Bethel. So this is all fresh. This is all like a new thing. There's no time to process, no time to reflect, no time to really even dig into, you know, this new belief other than a few basic like points that I think maybe haven't, haven't been further explored by her just yet. Hey, she could be very firm her whole life in this belief system for all I know, but I'm, I'm, it's almost like only time will tell. It's kind of where I'm at. Right. No, I see what you mean. Um, I was just going to say too, though, that, um, gosh, I lost my train of thought. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to. I want to move on it's to the sixth clip. This is uh, Jeff Durbin talking about and kind of comparing Bethel. In my opinion, I think he's comparing because he's bringing it up in in the same conversation. Bethel to like the occult and not having a real gospel. I just don't understand. Again, the extremism. I guess we'll get into it. I'm going to play the clip. We'll go from there. To understand how you got here, um, but what you're saying is. Well, what we're saying is, is of, co- there, of course, there are concerns in terms of the worship practices and, mm. and a lot of the things that are happening at Bethel, things that are really actually common in Eastern religion and mysticism Absolutely, the, in terms yeah. of how you can take um, a, a service in yeah. a lot of Eastern religions and the occult and see a lot of the same patterns, uh, a lot of the same practices now actually uh, coming to fruition within Bethel and the mm. worship there. So that's... Who wants to go first? <laughs> well, you brought it up, so. <laughs> well, I mean, this, okay, so, and this is my this is my theme throughout. This, this is my biggest issue with the whole interview, the whole thing. And again, I'm going to preface, I'm not disagreeing that Bethel has things I would definitely disagree with. I'm, I'm, that is not the point. The mm-hmm. point is that you have another group drawing, I think, over-the-top lines and trying to make comparisons that I think are – a, unfruitful, and B, unfounded in the sense that you can tie almost everything that we do in current church culture back to a pagan practice. I mean, Frank Viola wrote that book, Pagan Christianity, where he ties back almost everything that we do now in our common church you know, service as being tied back to a pagan thing. That doesn't mean it's automatically the occult or something that, something that is so extreme. So I, I immediately take issue when I hear guys who – will say, you know, oh, well, this is tied back to uh, Eastern mysticism. Well, what are you really referring to? Are you referring to people getting excited and jumping up and down, people closing their eyes, people spinning around? I don't know if that holds a lot of weight for me. Well, I mean, I feel like our impression of what the services and stuff are like at Bethel are way more what we see in, like, YouTube videos of their songs and stuff like that. Um, and I know that what they're referring to there is definitely not that more like innocent seeming stuff that you're referring to. And they talk about it some, but I mean, there's, there's other things that are going on often in those kind of uber charismatic type services that I feel like you would find odd if you were there and you saw them i would find them odd because i yeah i definitely but i would not think that they're demonic that that to me that's the big one when you're bringing like the occult it's like okay what are you really trying to say that bethel is of the devil and is being used by the devil to engage in 
the occult. That's what, and they, they, he never really goes beyond that. So that's just a big statement to say without really explaining yourself. Because what it tells your your side of the aisle is that, yeah, you're right. Like Bethel, man, there's some occult practices going on in there. Like those guys are demon worshipers. And that is not at all the heart of Bethel. Even if even if we disagree with, with, with their approach to God and the Holy Spirit, that's not what they're trying to do at all. So that to me is, I think, my, my biggest issue with, with that particular clip. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't yes, think I Rob. Add, I don't think I have anything to add on that one. Oh, <laughs> wow. This is really going my way. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Me saying okay doesn't necessarily mean I agree with you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what? Well, then go for it. This is why we're podcasting, so you can push back. No, I, you, I, I mean, yeah. I kind of agree because, like, when you go to Bethel's statement of faith, they're not, I mean, their statement of faith is, you would almost say it's evangelical if you didn't know, if you didn't come to them with a preconceived notion of, oh, they're a crazy charismatic church. Reading their statement of faith, you wouldn't get that. Other than um, we believe in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a holy life and minister supernaturally. That's really the... the charismatic line yeah but one of my big i don't i don't know i can't speak to how specifically it applies to this that thing that clip specifically that you're you're just played tim but one of my more uh qualms that i have with bethel is sometimes the disconnect between what they say they believe like in their statement of faith and what you see lived out in practice Um, And we can talk about, you know, this girl's mental state or, you know, and her opinions and whatnot and how she, you know, and whether or not she's in like a a healthy state of mind while giving this interview. But a lot of what she was saying throughout the whole interview was less her opinion and more just her saying what happened. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's just, I mean, you can choose to believe her, her, her or not, um, and the way that she describes things sure, certainly could be skewed, but I'm just saying that what Bethel says they believe, and then what someone who's been there in like the thick of their ministry and their teaching says what she says actually happens and what they actually teach. If there's a disconnect between that, mm-hmm. you know, that I find a problem with that. Yeah, which, Do you have any specific examples of what you're like referring to or like, like what you're thinking about when you say that? Um, I, I don't have the clips up of, of the examples that she gives, but I mean, she gives examples of the teachings that Bethel has about certain things um, when it comes to, you know, who Jesus is. She talks about um, in one of um, Bill Johnson's books, he talks about Jesus completely lay, laying aside his divinity when he was on earth. Um, and I don't feel like that's in line with what they would claim to believe about who Jesus is. Um, if you were to just read their statement of faith, um, stuff like that's not in there. <laughs> you know, right. I agree with you, Rob, if you just read their statement of faith, it, it sounds like, you know, 90%, you know, in, at its core, like 90% of other evangelical churches out there, 
Um, but when you find out the more specifics about what they actually teach, um, I feel like there's not, it, it's not consistent. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I definitely agree. There's de in her, in her experience, there are some things that are very alarming. Um, when, when she talks about other students, um, you know, telling her that she has some kind of bad spirit or telling her that, you know, the Bible is kind of just a basis and it's okay to go out beyond the confines of scripture. I think that's definitely an alarming thing. Um, but yet, if we go back, I think the term that they use, I think I have a clip of it, is that is, uh, they encourage, uh, no, they, they, they talk about having to go off the map is the term that they use. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, if you go back to their statement of faith, like this is what they say about the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and is God's anointed one, empowered by the Holy Spirit to inaugurate God's kingdom on earth. He was crucified for our sins, died, was buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and is now alive today in the presence of God the Father and in his people. He is true God and true man. Which... Yeah, so you notice that they they attribute, you know, that he is God now, but they refer to him when they're talking about he was born of a virgin and he was God's anointed one. They don't say anything there about him being It's all capitals. God. It's all yeah. capitals. I mean, I mean <laughs> but then you look at you, you then obviously, I mean, you go into something where he specifically says that. Right. Um and I mean, I don't know. I I'm not prepared to get into an argument about you know, how important that really is that you believe that, but I definitely believe that. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that is an important thing that we believe about Jesus is that he was, you know, he continued his divinity. He didn't set aside his divinity um, when he was on earth. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Sweet. Well, this is going swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> Next clip. Here we go to them yeah there's also a, a tendency in the cults in as they as they get people within them and and to follow there's a lot of sociological manipulation yeah in terms of when you're in the group you're in you're loved you're accepted you're, there's love bombing that takes place yeah was that was that present in 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 that experience when you first were getting in these things are very strange holy laughter uncontrollable crying rocking back and forth on yeah. horses like on horses and convulsing on the floor this is stuff that's not normative in human experience mm. it, it, all right let's stop there for a minute i have a couple of things about that again now we're referring to bethel as a cult but I, 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 okay how do i say this the right way those things about love bombing and feeling welcome that's that happens in all kinds of churches not just bethel if people don't act a certain way if they don't some churches you know if you don't act a certain way or wear the, wear the right clothes like you're out you're just out of the group you know i mean we do that in church culture. In fact, many different groups of people do this, but we do this all the time in church culture, not just in a Bethel context. So I don't, again, I just don't understand. It just seems a very extreme perspective of like Bethel is everything that's wrong with Christianity. And like, we're just going to pick on them for every little nitpicky thing that they could possibly do. But that's a issue that happens in church culture all the time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he was pointing to that kind of as, you know, 
in the context of everything else that they were talking about, I don't think he was saying that the, you know, the over the top love and acceptance in and of itself was a bad thing. No. Yeah. I think his point was they're, they're using the love bombing as a gateway to say, kind of accept everything else as normal because we're so accepting of you. And it, it lowers your defenses of, you know, that holy laughter and the insatiable crying and, and the other kind of typical charismatic stuff that would go on um, to, to lower your defenses against seeing that as, as unusual. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is a good point. Like I, I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, again, I mean, I feel like I have to give context to where I'm coming from in all of this too, is that I'm not super against Bethel and everything they are either. I definitely see some problems with their theology and how they do things. Um, but in this context of what they're talking about, like I can see how that idea of, you know, let's be, not like they're all in a secret room saying, you know, let's be really accepting so that they won't notice this other weird stuff that we're doing. <laughs> um, but it makes sense that, you know, if, if there's aspects to a church experience or church teachings that are going to make people uncomfortable, um, you know, ex having this really accepting, loving experience right off the bat um, kind of does, you're right, Rob, it kind of lowers your defenses to those things where I think that you, as someone going into a different um, church community with, you know, maybe different teaching than you've heard before, you should be, you know, looking at things with a, an objective view where you're, you know, testing things against scripture and not just kind of giving into this, you know, the feeling of it all. Um, Let's not forget, I think a big distinction to make too, this is really talking about this school of supernatural ministry, not necessarily the Bethel Sunday morning service. Right. Um, and again, I know that they're connected. Bethel does both. And either obviously there's going to be overlap, but I almost see the school as uh, master's commission. You guys know what that is? It's the assemblies of God, like ministry school. Yeah. And it's, Honestly, it's very similar to what this person just described about, you know, obviously you sign up, you do pay money, but it's a very intense school focused on ministry, worship, prayer, um, and you feel comfortable and there's a lot of quote unquote love bombing, but I would never consider Master's Commission a cult. So that's why I think is the issue here for me is like, these are things that any, any extreme or anything that you sign up for that, that is going to, is saying, this is going to push your boundaries and make you, you know, in, you know, into an un uncomfortable situation, like Master's Commission, for example, you can't date your first year, you can't watch R-rated movies, you you can't do almost anything. Your life is pretty much ministry 24-7. So you're signing up for a very different way of living than the majority of the world. But again, I wouldn't call that a cult. So I just find that that the words that they use throughout this interview are not accurate for what they're actually describing like yeah i agree you can be um welcome into a bunch of uh, into a group of people and your defenses are lowered because they love you and accept you but that does not just happen only at bethel that happens in a lot of other places and we don't call it a cult right and again i don't think he's using that as an example of they are in a cult because they do this whole love bombing thing 
he's just saying that that is something that those groups will do. Yeah, right. but I, he's obviously he's obviously saying cult and and then tying that into the Bethel experience. That's that's the it's in the it's in the yes, but he's he's saying himself. cult not because of this, but because of the other things that they've been talking about. Right, and this just falls in line with cultish. Right, behavior. he's saying here's one more thing that falls in line after all of these other things that we've talked about. Yeah, sure. I I just wouldn't tie it back into Bethel and cult in the same word. That's all. That's my only point. It's like I just think it's an extreme. Well, I mean, comparison on purpose. Their whole premise, <laughs> right? And that's why I'm podcasting about it. I think it's baloney. Okay. That's not true. Not not fully baloney, but I I think it's just it's over the top extreme. Mm, let's see a couple more clips here. Uh, stupid. I here we go. All right. So it's almost you're preconditioned in a such a way to say, no, I don't want to have I don't want to have the religious spirit because that's bad. Well, so it's 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 interesting because this is it's not and and God praise God for protecting you from all of this, um, but you'll see this as common form really throughout all false religion, the world of the occult, and and uh, you know uh, in, in a number of different realms you can see this sort of uh, pattern. It's where they are, are. They will try to work on somebody to disengage from reason yep. and discernment, and specifically yeah. in the case of a Christian, disengage from spiritual discernment, like yeah. really engaging with the mind and, of course, God's objective standard to say, "Let me discern if this is actually from God or not." You'll see people saying, "No, depart from that, block that." You know, that's a religious spirit, or they're condemning in some way. Yeah. Mm. The idea of reason and discernment. What's amazing is that throughout Scripture, you don't ever see God calling on people to disengage from reason or discernment. <clears throat> Who wants to go first? <laughs> is it me again? Because I'm playing all these clips. Yeah, I just want to know where you're coming from with that, like. Are all these things that stuff that stood out to you because you disagree with how they approached it or? Well, that clip in particular, I just think the very end, he's like, you won't see a time where God tells someone to leave reason and discernment. And I don't think that's true at all. I think the Bible's full. Do you have an example? Uh, of people leaving reason and discernment? Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, I just had one and it flew away. Well, let me, hold on, let me think for a minute now. <laughs> wow. I just had it and it just... Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, the easy. Uh, the prophets having some of them roll around in their own poop, uh, 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 walk around naked for years on upon years. There are many, many times throughout the Bible where God has His people doing crazy things, walking around the walls of Jericho seven times until they fall down by blowing trumpets. Very non-logical, non-reason things. So, I, I don't know. Again, it, I'm not trying to be nitpicky, but it's like this is a for me this that line in particular about you know not leaving reason discernment and i don't want to get down this rabbit hole but apology radio they're they believe in tulip theology which makes you have all kinds of questions for illogical fallacies and things that don't make any sense but they would hold to a consistent view so i just don't find this stuff consistent with their own belief system well, like, like, like in their head, they're picking up Bethel because of the supernatural, because, you know, God told me so. And listen, I, I agree that that stuff can be super dangerous. In fact, Lindsay even says that, that there were moments where she 
I have a clip of it. I'll play it later where she even says like, I thought it was God talking to me. It turns out it was just myself. And I can really relate to that. You know, that idea of like, wait, is this like just me talking to myself thinking that it's God? So I definitely understand that. But for them to make it seem like, you know, well, our side is like full of reason and logic and just, you know, factual stuff. But this other side is just out in, in La La Land, I think is disingenuous ultimately. Which, I, yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Um, to your points of examples where people did things that were illogical, they did have the direct revelation from God telling them, do this. Where we don't have that anymore. And it's a bit, I mean, we just did this whole biblical interpretation series with Dr. Walton and our conversations where I think we would all be in agreement that God doesn't speak to us in that way like he did to the prophets. And if you have someone saying to you, well, God told me the other day, such and such and such, that's already throwing up red flags. And I think their point is now, okay, can you reasonably, does this agree with what we have been revealed in scripture? Um, does this agree with what we've been revealed about God. And if it doesn't, that's where our, our reason and our logic comes in to say, okay, we can probably throw that out because it doesn't match with everything else we have. Where in the Old Testament, in those times, they, they didn't have all of the scripture. They didn't have all of this stuff. They didn't have the Holy Spirit guiding them. What oh, they right. did have was God directly revealing the stuff. Sometimes you have to go off the map, Rob. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is true. But, but hold on. Okay, so let's pause on, on this topic for a minute. I think it's important. And it ties back into our biblical um, uh, like series, of what we just did a few weeks ago. So, But one of the issues, though, as I think all three of us are discovering, is that as much as we would like to say that... Uh, um, that it's easy to understand the Bible and what it's saying. It obviously is not the case because guys like Apology Radio claim to a very different systematic belief about how God works compared to someone like Leighton Flowers, who we interviewed a few weeks ago. They hold very different views while all claiming to be biblical and founded. And Apology Radio would call Leighton a heretic. And I'm, I think Leighton wouldn't call them necessarily a heretic, but he would say, I have major issues with how they interpret scripture. And then you throw in a guy like Tim Mackey or Dr. Walton and the pot's even more confusing. So I know what you're saying, Rob, but I think we fall into the same issue of, well, when we go back to scripture, what do we read? Well, depending on how you're reading and interpreting this book, you could get a very different outcome from someone else <laughs> reading the same book. But the difference is, and I brought this up with you guys the other day when we were texting each other, the difference is, is that Leighton Flowers and the guys from Apologia Radio and Dr. Walton, all these guys are going to scripture and saying, you know, and, and looking at it and interpreting it and saying, this is what I believe based on my interpretation of scripture. And yes, I agree with you. Some interpretations are not right. Some interpretations are wrong. Like that was the whole point of my argument in the first part right. of that series. We did. Like, yes, if you get two different interpretations of the same scripture, one of you is wrong. But <laughs> the difference between comparing all three of those guys or those groups 
and then throwing in a group like Bethel who says that, nah, we shouldn't always listen to what the Bible says because, you know, there's these other things that we have to take into account, like God's revelation to us. Um, that is not but, what they've said, though. That's a twist. Okay. Completely. Sure. It is. I'm, I'm exaggerating. Okay. Yes. So much. You are. You are. I listened to maybe 15 of their sermons or maybe even more. And that that term off the map is not in reference to throwing out the Bible. What they're saying, and again, I'm not saying it's wise. What they're saying is that there are moments where God will speak to you or something will happen that isn't found in Scripture. Like meaning like, you know, if God gives me a word for someone, I'm not going to go to the book and read what that word is. Sometimes he just gives it to me. I'm not saying it's a biblical way or even the healthiest way to view it, but it's not saying, hey, this book is garbage. Let's just throw it out and go off the map and toss it in the trash. So I just think, again, it's important because while we might disagree with their interpretation, they would claim that we're, just, we're interpreting the Bible this way and we're basing our theology off of Scripture. No matter how we see that, I'm not saying it's right, but I don't want us to think that, that they're just throwing this book out the door saying like, hey, let's just write up our own constitution and see what comes out of it. That's not the case. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the reality is somewhere in between. Yeah. What you just said and what I'm saying. <laughs> have either of you guys listened to any of their sermons? Honest question. I'm not, it's not. It's not a trick question. Like, have you actually listened to a Sunday morning sermon by Bill Johnson, a full one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Chris Volaton, Volat, whatever his name is. Oh, he's is. the guy who runs the ministry, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've listened to all of them, and there's another guy too. I can't remember what his name is. He, I think, like three of his sons, uh, Bill Johnson's sons, preached too. I think Brian yeah. Johnson preached. But so. yeah, I've, I've listened to some. One thing that I will say, listening to a bunch of their messages, is they they do have a very experiential theology, where if you experience it, then it must be true, which uh, which does tie into jeff and jeremiah's point of the occult or of cults not the occult where cults are very experiential and you can't you can't judge someone based off their experience because they have experienced it so that that's their own thing and there is a lot of that even in their sermons they use a lot of personal anecdotes that are experiential in nature to prove their points to prove um, their supernatural healings or their supernatural ministries, whatever it is, there, there is a lot of that in, in the sermons that I've listened to. And you agree with that, Tim? Yeah. yeah but, that's, you I think, but you I don't think see how experiential theology at its core is a divergence from relying on scripture? No, because I, well, they're not, hold on. Rob said that they have experiential stories a lot in their sermons that's different than Which saying hey our theology is experiential theology that's like saying if a pastor uses an example no, no. i'm not like saying a story it's experiential i'm not saying that they would say their theology is experiential but when they're using experiences to uh prove their points on things or to shape their theology which i certainly think they do they're definitely on that side of the scale of you know, the way, the amount that they rely on experience to shape how they view theology is more than I would think is acceptable. And the other end of that spectrum is, or, or towards more towards the middle of that spectrum is someone who relies on scripture to shape the way that they 
think about God. Well, I feel like, well, I think though, for, again, I'm, I'm, I don't go to Bethel, but I, I, I'll give you an example. I think if someone came to Bill Johnson, it was like, hey, God told me that I should be uh, living with my boyfriend and having sex with him outside of marriage. And the Holy Spirit told me that. I don't think Bill would say, oh, experiential. Like that obviously trumps scripture because it's your experience. So that's no problem. I think that Bethel does hold very much to the Bible as the ultimate authority, especially if things are contradicting. I think, though, they're more open to things that maybe the Bible doesn't mention as being like, hey, this is from God. And they're more open, they'd be more open to it being actually from God. Again, I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm not saying that's good. But I am saying, like, I don't think it's this extreme, like, well, our experience will always trump scripture every time. No, but I think that what you just said that they may do, where they are, how did you put it? Uh, <laughs> uh, you just said <laughs> yeah um, late, guys. <laughs> uh, no i said um like if it like um if something happens that it maybe isn't mentioned specifically in the bible they might say oh that was from god right what i was gonna not say is, is it's not in there yeah is that claiming something from is from god that doesn't have I don't know, because it's hard in like the Christian life, because obviously the Bible doesn't address all of the individual specific circumstances that we're going to go through. And I agree with that. However, I think there are biblical truths that we can rely on and go back to that will guide us through any situation that we encounter in our lives. And if you're going to say that, you know, this thing I've decided or this thing I believe is from God and not be able to somehow, I don't want to say like justify it with scripture because I don't think that's the purpose of scripture to is to justify the things that we want to do. But if you can't like, um, yeah, but I'll just use that because I don't have anything better and another better way to put it. Um, if you can't like justify what you're claiming is from God for that also in line with scripture, then that's really dangerous. And I'm saying that I think that is as bad as saying our experience trumps the Bible. I mean, that's that's the same kind of thinking that gets somebody to say even from her um, initial uh, background story, is somebody saying to somebody else, God told me that we should get married. Number one, that's a conversation stopper because how am I supposed to then tell you, well, God didn't tell me that. And, right. and it, now you can't, you can't even have a conversation because that's the, that's the trump cards of spiritual talk. Well, God told me. And that just doesn't go anywhere. That's, that's more experiential. You can't, you can't go to the Bible and say, well, here in Hezekiah chapter three, it clearly says Rob is to marry Julia. Um, so there are a lot of things that we just can't, we can't prove from scripture and can't get out of scripture um, that it would be unwise and unbiblical for us to say, well, God told me X. If, 
it's it's a lot different to say something like you know i felt like there was something that you needed to hear and you know being in your situation there's these biblical truths that i think you should be aware of and give them some scripture yeah i think god is perfectly capable of giving a word in season to somebody to give to somebody else but it's always in line with his scripture and his revealed self and his revealed person and to say that it's okay to go outside of those bounds and then claim well, God told me, I think is very dangerous ground because it gets you into, it, it's the trump card that then you could say anything and just tag on to the end. Well, God told me. Yeah, don't disagree. I'm just wondering where those lines are though, because I've definitely have either used that line as a kid or have been told that by someone God told me. And again, I'm not being interviewed by jeff durbin and my church isn't on display for like how heretical it's been to teach you know to to, to teach things on a, i guess a lesser lesser known public level in the past or how about times when i've heard a pastor say god spoke to me today i think as a church we have to go in this direction i mean that that's kind of what i'm referring to here you know i, I right. think bethel is definitely on the more like you guys are saying i would agree um you know, every, you can always hear from God. God. What is God speaking to you in every minute? And it's that voice inside your head. I think that's a whole different discussion that runs into all different kinds of problems. You know, I'm just trying to like figure out like what you guys are kind of getting at, because I think a lot of people in evangelical church culture are taught to believe that God does speak, which we all agree. And that people sometimes will say that God spoke to me and he really didn't. Right. <laughs> and that happens to a lot of people, not just not just Bethel Church, because of how out out of control they are. That's kind of my point. Like that happens to a lot of people in a lot of different churches often. That's my only point, I guess. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely don't disagree with that. That that's it's it's a phrase that we have been cultured in Christianity as a whole to yes. be comfortable yes. with and we shouldn't be you're right yeah that's a great point um let me see if i can get to um your parts jordan you have two parts here i gotta pull up part two real quick because uh i know i don't want to be here forever let's see <laughs> let's see yours was this market here so this is uh in part two i will say part two in my opinion, is probably the most uh, damning evidence <laughs> for why Bethel is kind of out there, mainly because of this book, I think called The Physics of Heaven or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does have like a lot of like new age um, things woven into it and just things I was like, whoa, that just sounds like really crazy. So anyway, I'm going to play this clip, Jordan, maybe after I play, you can get some context and tell me when to stop. Sure. Here we go truly Christian, if you're truly in the faith, you have to get two things right, the gospel and who Jesus Christ actually is. Mm. If you don't have those two things right, you have a Jesus that cannot save and you have a gospel that cannot save. So um, a popular teaching from Bill Johnson is that um, Jesus Christ, he says in his book, When Heaven Invades Earth, um, he says, and I believe it's chapter 10, I could be wrong, um, but it's in this book and he perpetuates it in his sermons, if you just look it up, um, but that Jesus completely laid aside his divinity um, and that he ceased to be God on earth, um, that he was 
only a man in right relationship with God. And obviously that isn't the Jesus of scripture. We know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, yeah, that clip kind of just stood out to me and because I think it was something that we kind of brought up in text the other day. Um, just this idea of the importance of having the, like having, because the, they talk about several times throughout this, like the right gospel um, and that we're worshiping the right Jesus. Um, and I guess that, I just thought that was something that we could talk about a little bit. Um, and I think she gives a good example there of how you can skew who the person of Jesus is by making a claim about him um, and how that changes really who it is that we are worshiping. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I want your guys' thoughts on that whole idea. Like, then this comes back to kind of like what you were saying, Tim, like with the lines, like where do you draw the line on this? Um, and it's hard. And I don't necessarily think that I have a real um, uh, solid idea of where that is but I know it's somewhere like when you're, when you're preaching the gospel, there is a line where you're no longer preaching the true gospel anymore. Hmm. All right. I'll take a stab at it. (laughs) Go ahead. As, as I mean, I am the resident liberal here on this podcast Um, here. Okay. I'm going to try and flesh this out and it's probably going to be full of holes. So I acknowledge (laughs) that this is not going to be, an airtight thought. Um, My first response, I'm just going to speak out of my mind, like whatever's coming. My first response is someone who always says that is like, well, how do you know that you have the right gospel then? You know, like, okay, so you think that other people have false gospels, but somehow out of all the options in the world, you hit the jackpot and have the true gospel because you're reading the Bible right. And that guy's reading the Bible wrong. So and that might also could be the case, by the way. I'm not saying that it's not, but I just think it's always important. I think you guys would agree that you can't always take like statements like that at like a face value right away, right? Then she goes forward and kind of gives the example of this idea of, and there's a term for it. I, I'm, there's an actual like, theological term for it. Um, I'm blanking on it. But the idea that, that Christ relinquished his divinity to come down here, something, something to that effect, all right? Um, which I think they would pull from different scriptures where Jesus talks about like, um, I and the father are one and that I can do nothing apart from the father, like probably verses like that. Meaning like, it's not just pulled out of thin air. They probably take certain scripture and weave like this narrative that gets them to that point. Um, but the question, like you said, Jordan is, you know, where do you draw the lines on preaching a true gospel? Um, and Listen, I'm we we all know this. I'm pretty ignorant overall, you know, compared to most people that we've interviewed on the podcast, people that we know. But for me, I think the gospel, if you had to really like boil it down, like what do you believe? For me, I think where I land now is it is the belief of the death, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for reconciliation back to God. Like that's what I would be as you know, pointed and as like broad as humanly possible. Um, And I say that because I do think that a lot of Christians um, in the past throughout 
all the millennia and centuries have probably had similar thoughts to that emptying out theology. And I don't think that, that that's, that's disqualified them from believing in like a fake Jesus. I think it was just how they read the scripture at that time. That's just my personal view. It's not even thought out yet, but that's kind of where I landed. So I guess my question is like, if then you went to the point where you were, where, and somebody said to you, they were preaching that to you, and then they got a little more specific and said, but Jesus wasn't God. He was just a guy who was anointed by God to do all these things. Do you think that changes that or does that not really matter? Well, I mean, and again, I'm kind of speaking on behalf of like what I think Bethel believes, which is that Jesus is God, but that he put his divinity aside on earth. And then I guess when he died was, you know, back to being God, however that would work. Um, if someone said to me, hey, like Jesus is not fully God, he's like a lesser God, almost kind of like a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness system. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, that's kind of wacky. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think like we're talking about like the same like thing here you know so at that for me right now i probably i probably would be like yeah i don't think that's accurate but if someone like uh said for example i'll give you one more quick quick example there's also the belief in in christianity like throughout the centuries that that god himself had to make space for humanity to thrive that wasn't like just him like he had to put aside like part of like his space to make space for us i don't think that diminishes god i think it's another theory about around how god allows humanity to be with sin and everything else while it all works, you know? So I don't think that, that, that that's preaching a false gospel. I think that's one way to think about how God made room for humans to live as an example. So with Jesus, I'm, I don't know, Jordan, like I, I would say like, I would consider, I would consider that like, Oh, a line's drawn. Like that's ridiculous theology. Okay. Just, yeah. just my thought. Yeah. Just all of the scriptures that I would think of would contradict that um namely like philippians uh, where paul talks about you know um christ and i i understand where the the they're probably getting the when christ emptied himself and became and was found in the form of a man um that's probably where they're getting some of that theology but i i would say it's a misinterpretation of biblical text, um, where I think that is a very important distinction that Christ is and was God at that point, because it could only be a divine being that could withstand the divine wrath of God against sin and be able to fulfill it fully. That's why, you know, a lot of times in like a a message when somebody's preaching the gospel, they'll say something to the effect of, if I sin, if I didn't sin, then I could take your sin and you could go to heaven. Well, actually, that's not true because it takes a human being. Now, this is goes into a different argument, but let's just for the sake of this podcast say it takes a human being in eternity and hell to pay for sin for their own sin. So if I was if I for some reason was sinless and was able to tell God, you know what, Tim is a sinner, but I don't have any take this the punishment that he deserved and put it on me instead so that he can go free when would you be allowed to go to heaven when the payment was fully paid when would the payment be fully paid not for an eternity and so it would take a divine being to be able to withstand the eternal wrath of god against sin in a finite amount of time 
and that would be kind of my theological response to to that yeah yeah i i guess i was just thinking about this while you're talking and maybe a different way to word kind of what i'm thinking um is like tim you gave a good kind of really broad view of what the gospel is and i think you would agree that there are a lot of different there are a lot of groups that fall under that broad view of the gospel. And I guess my question is at what point do the specifics, you know, when you get into more of the detail than what you said, are there specifics that make that gospel? I guess, I don't know. I guess I would say like void. <laughs> Let me, maybe can I give one example? Actually, I had this thought. Yeah, Let me kind of flip the script for a minute, just for sake of arguing and really to have just a fun a mind exercise. So let's take Apologia Radio, for example. They are five-point Calvinists, which means that they believe in limited atonement, um, which means that in their belief system that Christ did not die uh, for the sins of the world necessarily, but really his death only counts for the elects. So they would also believe, too, that God has chosen before the beginning of the world some people to go to heaven, and they it depends on what Calvinist strain we're talking about here, but I think that they would say, and by definition, some people to go to hell. So that is not at all in what I believe is a theological worldview of the gospel, because I think that the gospel is for everyone. But would I count them as like heretics or like not Christian? I probably wouldn't, um, because I can understand how they can in my mind, twists verses and get their theology all backwards. So I'm just trying to be consistent because I have major issues with apology or radio too, but I'm not going to say, well, they're just, uh, they're just so far gone. Like they're definitely not preaching the gospel. So I feel like I'm but, looking at kind of two sides of the extreme coin here where yeah. you have Bethel on one side, I have a, guys like Apologia and James White and Jeff Durbin on the other side. I'm like, well, I have to believe that God's working through both of these movements somehow, even if I can't see it. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to this, but why not? <laughs> like, why, why wouldn't you call them out? Apology saying, radio? Yeah, sure. I'm well, saying if you're, if you're saying they're twisting parts of the Bible and the gospel, then why wouldn't you go ahead and say that they're preaching a false gospel? Well, this may be too extreme, frankly. I mean, I, I, again, I'm still working this stuff out. This is new for me. I just... I'm trying to change my mindset from being someone who is causing more division by drawing more lines to trying to be as unified as possible and be like, you know, we're better when we work together and listen to each other and try to understand each other better as opposed to just like, calling each other heretics, you know, and do throwing you, that word around. So do you feel like that mindset is in line with the passages that talk about like the road being really narrow. Well, I mean, uh, here's what I will say. And again, this is just me just working this stuff out. So I'm not saying I have it together. But I, what I am saying is that in regards to like what, what, what you just said about like picking, you know, and what you did was you picked out a, a verse and gave me that verse and said, well, what about this verse? And Rob did the same thing. And I've done the same thing many times. I'm getting farther and farther away from like, oh, like here's all the verses that support my view. And I'm trying to understand like the narrative of the Bible on like a bigger picture because I'm finding that everyone including myself i'm by no means exempt 
bases their theology by and then defends it by picking out like specific verses and like weaving their narrative of whatever it is. That's what Bethel will do with the Holy Spirit and with healing. They'll pick out a few select scriptures, say their piece, and prove why it's the case. That's what Apology Radio will do. That's what you know a lot of people do. I'm trying as best as I can to get the big picture of like the story of God in scripture. And I'm trying not to pick out verses because I don't want to pick out, I don't want to build a different narrative than what isn't trying to be told. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I, and I get what you're saying, but if there, if we're having a specific conversation like we are right now and someone says, Oh wait, here's the verse that contradicts what you're saying. And I didn't say that it does contradict. No, what right. you're saying. I was just asking, do you feel like that? I was asking you, do you think it contradicts what you're saying? Um, like that's a specific verse that I would say, you know, it's okay to call out specific passages of scripture that if, if something comes up and you're like, this doesn't seem in line with this, sure. you know, because yeah. I don't think that in looking at the broad picture of scripture, you lose the truth of any one particular passage. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely, I, agree I think I, I, yeah. And I, but I agree with you that, when you are only looking at specific passages and you're using, you know, a verse here and a verse there to defend what you believe, it's much easier to twist those things and to kind of make it sound the way you want. Um, but then yeah. kind of coming from the other direction, what I just said, like that the whole of scripture is never going to contradict any one passage either. For sure. And I do think that in some way the road is narrow, but I'm talking, talking about people who are already are what I would assume is to be saved, you know, I mean, like people who are inside the body. So then I think about like verses where Paul talks about how the body has to work together or think about the prayer of Jesus that he would pray that we would be one mm -hmm. as him and the father are one. So I'm trying, I think on a personal level to change my default, which is like yelling and calling out what's wrong with everything to like trying to find like where we can unify. And I know in this episode we're kind of critiquing someone else's interview but i think it's important to do that you know i don't think it's wrong to have conversations and i would love to talk to jeff durbin or jeremiah roberts or Lindsay, like live on the podcast and frankly i'm sure jeff durbin and jeremiah roberts could run circles around me and like they they know their why they believe what they believe inside and out. i respect that but i think ultimately what i'm trying to say is jordan to bring this back full circle i could very easily in my opinion pick out things with with apology or radio that i find like disturbing about their belief in god like the fact that god would save some and then intentionally damn others to me that has a whole different set of issues and questions that we can't get into now but like i think that's really disturbing and i think that leads to really weird beliefs about god and how he and how he acts but i'm not going to say well they're just heretics like we can't have any association with them even though i strongly strongly disagree with some of their theology yeah okay. and they and to bring that back to the gospel discussion is even even places like apologia i think would in the gospel mindset while they do believe that there is an elect group that god has sovereignly chosen wrong word wrong usage of the word sovereign but we'll leave that alone um that he has chosen we as humans we don't know who that is and so we still preach the gospel to all people without knowing who, who we're preaching to or who God will save. And in the same effect, you know, even though I don't hold that belief, I still preach the gospel to all believing God can save, but understanding 
these people have their own free will to accept it or reject it. Um, so I guess in, in that regard, I would say the majority of people would still be in the same camp that the gospel should go out to whosoever, because that's what Christ said. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. And so anyone that takes Jesus's words seriously would do what he said and preach to everyone. What happens on the God end of things, I think is a different discussion. But when it comes to the gospel, I think I, we would, we might be more in line with apologia than a Bethel, depending on, you know, some of the more obscure uh, references, especially from that, that book when uh, the physics of heaven, but um, just, just to say, I think that is, that's the core of the gospel is preaching to whosoever. And it's by faith in Christ that you're saved. I, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Rob, you know, and, um, but it's just funny because I have a definition. You have a definition. I'm sure Jordan has a slightly <laughs> different definition. The reformers has a slightly different, different definition. You know, Luther had a slightly different definition. Like, that's what I'm kind of saying is like, I don't know if it's just like one line that's like, this is it. And anything outside of this, like either is or isn't because it's, there's too many people out there who have different views who I would consider Christian. Well, first Corinthians 15 gives you a pretty good definition hmm. <laughs> for I delivered to I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then it goes on to talk about his uh, resurrection. But Right, but that, yeah, I, I see, I would agree with that. I think if you had to get down to like, what, what, what do, what do you, Apology Radio, C.S. Lewis, probably Stephen Furtick, and us have in common? Probably that statement. You know what right. I mean? Right. Everything else is like not in common. So, but I would still call them Christians. I would still call them followers of Jesus, even though the expressions are so radically different from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that I, and I get what you're saying is it's hard to, it's hard to draw the line and say definitively, you are not a Christian because if, if they believe that, if they truly believe that and if it, have accepted that as fact, then they are a Christian in the body of Christ. Their theology may be bad that is producing wrong Christian activity, but that doesn't negate the fact that if they believe that to be true, then it, you can't say you're in the body, you're out of the body. That's, that's God's job. Yeah, ultimately, that's what I'm trying to say, especially I think it's important that you zoom way out of just our time that we're living in people for thousands of years have professed that same thing and have had very radically different views on scripture, lifestyles, belief systems, but have still believed that that core thing, you know, that Jesus died and rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of sins, according to the scripture. And you have to be that broad or else you're alienating huge groups of people who have claimed to be in the faith. So I, that's kind of my point is like, you know, yes, it is, like, you know, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, you can say whatever you want, but, like, just know that there's probably some other Christian out there who would disagree with you, and then you're, and then it's just two objects colliding, and who's who, who's really right? One of us is. <laughs> or neither of you are, or both of you are. 
you know? No, well, well, not both of well, us. Well, <laughs> both. We're not yin and yang here. Well, it could be neither. It could be neither, but not both. <laughs> yeah. uh, my mind is spent already. I can't get through the rest <laughs> of these clips. We'll be here forever. How long part, have we been going? Part two. We might need to. Uh, uh, wow. you, you only have a couple from part three, so just play those ones, and we'll see where we get. All right, I'll do one more. Where's I had the one on music. Let me find it. Hold on. I got to load it up and get it rolling. Um, let me see if there's this clip here. I mean, you know where I stand. All music in church is cultish activity. We know. <laughs> here we go. Or allow for a gospel that um, allows for a God that um, sends sickness, causes sickness, or allows for yeah. sickness, then you actually believe mm -hmm. in a different gospel. And he cites... Uh, that was her talking about how Bill Johnson believes that if uh, you believe that God sends sickness or can cause any kind of calamity, that you believe in a different gospel, which I think is kind of crazy, so... That wasn't the right clip. Let me try and find the actual one. I'm talking about here. Uh, I think this is it here with their music. Here we go. Sure. Elevation worship, you know, all of these different. Hold on. Let me back up a little bit. This is definitely the clip. Uh, uh. All right, let's start here. It's loading. Good faith that it's okay to sing Bethel music, Hillsong music, Jesus culture, elevation worship, you know, all of these different worship bands that are notorious for having um, horrible theology are we yeah. are are we okay with leading people into um, movements like that or into doctrine like that i'm mm -hmm. not all right um i, I almost don't know how to respond i would love to hear the songs that are have horrible theology the majority of songs i know you're gonna say reckless love one of you is probably gonna say that but <laughs> <laughs> so but my point is that like and the bigger quote here is that she's talking about or asking, like, should churches that maybe don't believe in Bethel theology sing Bethel songs? And she ties it back into, she kind of lumps them all together. Hillsong, you know, uh, Furtick, uh, Elevation, and Bethel, which, by the way, they all have very different views on this stuff anyway, but whatever. Um, and if you should sing them in church, and then says that, that they are known for having horrible theology. I would love to see some of the songs that have horrible theology. There's probably some songs that maybe have things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily say that way or agree with 100%, but that's a very different thing than having horrible theology. But, but the other point I wanted to make, and this is something that I've been kind of realizing myself as someone who's very involved with music, um, and you guys might, might disagree with me on this, but an artist, the arts, I don't, I know that, uh, let me back up. Artists, musicians, I don't think that they see the world the way that black and white people see the world. And I think that they use words as metaphor and examples in their songs, like any artist would for songs that we sing. And so when someone sees a line that maybe is talking metaphor, that isn't like a hundred percent accurate, they freak out thinking that we're singing like heresy, but it's just a metaphor, which the Bible is full of itself. You know, 
a metaphor. So that's just kind of my thought on that. Yeah, I, I've had this discussion with people before, and I feel like I've had it with you before too. Um, I think I agree with you on this one. <laughs> Craziness. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, because I don't know. I think there's sort of the uh, almost like a separation, or there could be a separation, I guess, between singing a song that happened to be written by this group that is part of a church whose theology you might not agree with at that church, but that doesn't mean that the song itself has bad theology and maybe some of them do. Um, but I think it's the kind of thing where you can separate that and you can sing words for what they are and not have to reconcile who wrote them um, or what theology the church believes that that came out of um, and just kind of taking it on like a song by song basis. Um, I think that maybe she would disagree with that. And I, I'm okay with someone disagreeing with that because it's something that I don't know that I'm necessarily right on. <laughs> and I think there's, you could probably find examples of like, um, I don't know, the songs from a certain church, you know, pulling somebody in who then got really involved with sketchy theology at that church. Um, right. You right. could probably I mean, find an example of that. She brings that up, which my response is though, is that if you have someone in your church who you played a Bethel song in front of, they went on a Google search and found Bill Johnson and then left your church for Bethel theology. I'm not sure if you were equipping them right in the first place. Like, I don't know if that <laughs> should be Bethel's fault because they were in your church, but different discussion. Um, <laughs> my thing too, is that a lot of these songs are wonderful. I mean, there's a song by Bethel called living hope. It's like the most clear like song about the gospel that I've ever heard. And it's, written beautifully or the song of course you know what a beautiful name one of the most popular songs out there right by whole song that's a beautiful song that is just full of like beautiful imagery of of god in the gospel and so i think it's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater to be like well this church doesn't believe how we believe about certain things and we're we think that that, that they're wrong so all their music is also sinful and like heretical when it's it's maybe not the case and yeah. i I hope that anyone that holds that opinion also buys or listens to absolutely zero secular music because <laughs> you obviously wouldn't agree with how they live their lives. So by buying their music, you're supporting their lifestyle and therefore um, you're, you're taking the things that God has given you and, and not doing well with the stewardship of your money. But um so, so I, I kind of agree that it's a fine line to walk where you're not promoting someone, but you're enjoying, you're enjoying what those words mean scripturally. I mean, my personal opinion is most modern worship songs are garbage anyway. <laughs> Shocker. I, they're just very shallow. That's all I'm saying. I understand. Some, some are very good. Shallow or simple? shallow what's the difference simple 
Yeah, I guess Give there's an example no difference. Of beach. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just trying I to think of I one. I don't think there is one. I don't think that simple is necessarily bad, though. No, it isn't. But all of them are somewhat simple. And it's just like, okay, how many times are we going to say what a beautiful name? Like, let's let's get over the beautiful name. Um, hey, it's I, a beautiful name. <laughs> I can't get over it. It has no rival. It has no equal. Um, but it's a, also a powerful name. You know, like I... I really, I really like In Christ Alone. I really like. Poor Rob doesn't get our jokes. He's he's in other songs. <laughs> no, no, I get the jokes. It's just proving my point. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> but I, I like songs. You know, In Christ Alone, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Very modern, written, written, but they have deep theological things that that go deeper than just saying. Um, you know, we worship you, your name is great. There, there's just a little more than surface readings of scripture is all that I'm yeah. saying. There's also really beautiful, like non-church Christian music that's kind of making a resurgence. Hmm. Bands yeah. like My Epic and um, other bands King, like King's that. Kaleidoscope. Yeah, who like, they're writing about real things that like, I really appreciate because sometimes I think we're afraid to like, handle issues that every human goes through and having people write about these songs from their perspective of doubt and grief things that you wouldn't hear in church world because right now right. church music is very happy um right. i appreciate songs about sadness because that's part of the christian experience too yeah. you know yeah. what i mean i feel like there's places for all of that yeah. definitely you know like i think there's places for you know the more theologically complex songs i'll say maybe not deeper <laughs> um and there's a place for the songs that are more simple and direct and kind of focus in on one right particular thing and yeah. you know i think that's okay to you know sit there and dwell and meditate on you know this one aspect of who god is or this one aspect of you know how he feels about us or something like that yeah, which which I concede, uh, but I just feel like there's a lot of times where those songs are written almost to have a cultish experience, where like to draw out the emotion. Of... Right. It's it's the chord <laughs> yeah, progression can... is is emotional. The build up of the <laughs> band is emotional, and it's to to draw you into this emotional experience. Okay. Okay. We, we drummers Rob. do it so good too. Rob, you know what? I, I don't want to go too off the rails here, but can I just speak to that really quick? I yeah. used to really agree with that. I really did. And I had a big like problem, especially being a drummer. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm almost like manipulating people into like this like music experience. But I've since um, have a different way to look at it now. Mm -hmm. So I've realized that um, do like I listened to a, another again another uh, again another good podcast and just some minor research. I've realized that that the arts as a whole have really impacted the church since like the Catholic Church. Whether it was the artists doing the renditions of the paintings meant to invoke certain feelings and emotions about right. the reverence of God, or you know uh, musicians. And so I used to see myself as like, am I just you know, manipulating people into like feeling something that isn't there. But now how I see myself is that I'm just giving people an opportunity to experience 
this uh, worship to God in a unique way that only music can do. So I realized that like these chords are built to build and make people feel a certain way. And I'm like, you know what? I realized that and I'm okay with that because I think it's just the, it's one of the jobs of the artist throughout the church to be able to help people see and experience God in that way. And then you have the sermon, which can be also be used as another art form to with passion and to draw certain emotions out of people of conviction and of repentance. So that's kind of how I see it now, personally. My only response to that, and what if we continue down this road, it would take us to a different podcast episode. Okay, so we'll is, stop here then. Go ahead. Is <laughs> just I, I just have the problem now where if you say worship, everyone immediately goes to a musical time in their church service. Totally and, agree. 100%. And because we do it better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, but go ahead. It, <laughs> all, all that to say is just if that is your exclusive worship time yes. in any yes. believer's life, then you have an issue. And you're, you're totally right. That, mm-hmm. That's just my only caveat there. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, I think that's like an individual thing, though. Like, as we come to it, like, I don't think it's at all wrong for a church to provide that as long as they are providing, you know, like Tim said, like the sermon also is a form of worship and you know we're there we're there to worship and if a church is providing good opportunities to be in community throughout the week and worship god in those settings um and then beyond that i think it's like an individual thing like how are we individually viewing our worship for god in our lives is it an all the time thing or is it just a when i show up on sunday morning and feel like it kind of thing And I don't know that, you know, how a church chooses to style its worship or how a writer, a songwriter chooses to write a song. I don't know that that's really on them to, you know, to be responsible for the the personal um, engagement with God. Right. Yeah. I was just, I was with a group of people one time and we were like talking about God and talking about scripture and like really enjoying thinking about him in new ways and challenging each other. And then one of the people like turns around to the piano and was like, I think this would be a good time to worship. And I'm like, what do you think we've been doing for the past hour? Like, yeah, yeah. Is, right. is it just now that you're adding some chords and a melody that we're now right. able to worship? Right. 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 Now it's yeah. spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put a stop there. That's a whole different discussion. Um, <laughs> I want to give my final thought. And then if you guys want to give your final thought, you're more than welcome to. Here's my final thought on this whole topic uh, and kind of what I've been trying to say as best as I can. <laughs> so my, my big thing as a whole is that I feel as a church culture, we are divided, divided, divided. And I feel when we have and hear interviews like this, they end up doing a lot more harm than good. Um, I wish in a perfect world that Jeff Durbin and um, Bill Johnson would sit down and record themselves having a respectful dialogue around why they believe what they believe and would engage and let us listen in and see two people who hold very different views about scripture, but do love the Lord like crazy and have still committed their entire life to him um, as best as they know how can still find some kind of common ground and at a minimum, be just civil. <laughs> That's what I would want to see. 
And I feel like when I read interviews like this that are kind of a little over the top and they kind of pull people who need help. They don't need to be on a podcast ranting and raving about a cult that they, that, that, that they left a year ago, you know, and so on and so forth. It does more harm than good and it divides the body. So that's my perspective on this. I would love to see Jeff and Bill talk. I would love to see the church have more conversations. One of the reasons why I love this podcast is because I think us three disagree on a lot of things, probably in some ways, if we really got down to it, probably some what we would call serious things, but we are so good friends and we use that to dialogue and hear different perspectives about how to handle this Christian faith that we're in. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's my final thought. I mean, I did, I did appreciate, you know, Jeff Durbin's plea at the end of it to to have an open discussion with bill johnson or anyone from bethel so he did he did throw that out there whether or not that's taken up is a different issue but i agree i would love to to hear two parties like that that from our perspective is diametrically opposed but to come together find common ground and and talk it out and uh, you know the the whole discussion i think is really sur- is a good follow up to our last series about biblical interpretation shameless plug for listening to that three part series with dr john walton um <laughs> but it 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 shows us how important good biblical interpretation is and how important good theology is because theology differences after that common core of the gospel have led to these very, very different churches. And we have to be careful as to who we call heretics. I agree a hundred percent with you there, Tim. Um, And I think it would do us better to find common ground and encourage and um, motivate one another than trying to tear each other down, throw the word heretic and, um, you know, devil worshipers around, but instead try to find common ground. And that's a very strange thing for me to say. I know you agree with that, Tim. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, that's my final thoughts. Yeah. My final thought is that I totally disagree <laughs> with both of you. Yes. <laughs> Just perfect. Kidding. No, not really. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree about like unity, desiring unity in the church and to find um, common ground on things. I think what's important to also do at the same time is to be mindful of, you know, what what you do really believe about Jesus and the gospel, because yeah. um, I think those are really important things. And I think there are, I mean how many times in the new Testament does Paul or whoever's writing warn against false gospels? Mm -hmm. You know, like it is a thing, (laughs) you know, I don't think that we should um, be quick to call people heretics and to, um, you know, widen the division between people who are claiming to follow Jesus. I agree with you there. Um, But I think at the same time, like we're called, repeatedly throughout scripture to watch out for false gospels, you know? So, so what are we doing? First of all, how do we know if something is a false gospel, you should know what is the true gospel. <laughs> yeah. um, 
And, you know, obviously we can jump right back into that discussion about <laughs> how do we know it's true? You know, I, I mean, you, you go to the scripture and you interpret it the best you can using the tools that are available to you. Like we've been talking about for the last four, four episodes. Um, and, but I think a lot of people don't even get that far. You know, a lot of people have this kind of like shallow understanding of, you know, I'm just a follower of Jesus and doesn't really understand what that means or doesn't really understand what the gospel is. Um, and, can easily be, you know, pushed a certain way by someone who's preaching things that aren't true. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's my final thought is like, I agree with you. I think the church needs to find more common ground despite our, you know, theological divergences. Um, but at the same time, we need to be mindful of what we're believing. Are we just accepting something else because it sounds good, you know, or because it feels good, <laughs> you know, or are we going back to scripture and really uh, examining that? I've got a closing question that hopefully won't take long to answer, but. Oh my gosh. Bro. <laughs> Sorry. You just said our closing thoughts. Yeah, bro. I know, <laughs> but, but your closing thoughts made me think of something is if, if, if the church body was more like the person that you just described, somebody that hears messages from their pastor, looks at scripture, interprets it, says, you know, this is true or not. If all of the church body was more like that, would we have as many divisions as we do? I don't think so. I think it, it's kind of counterintuitive. You might think that, oh yeah, we'd all find something different. Um, but I think what causes like this huge faction over here and this huge faction over here is often just a few really loud people saying what they believe and yeah. everyone else following along and not really figuring it out for themselves. Right. I, oh, I, disagree. I, I, I 100% agree with you, Jordan. I disagree. Oh, for a different time. <laughs> Welcome wait, to wait, <laughs> no, wait, Jordan has another comment. No, I, I just curious generally, why, what do you disagree with? Well, I that. mean, I'm just saying like that's not the case of of like history. Welcome to the Reformation had many huge knowledgeable theologians mm -hmm. who all disagreed vehemently because of how they were so planted it's and how they vehemently. Sorry, did I say it wrong? <laughs> what did I say? You, you just added an extra syllable in the middle. Uh, let's try it again. Vehemently. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. better. Wait, how do you say it? What's the word? I'm so vehemently. Tired. Okay. <laughs> Many theologians vehemently <laughs> there you go. <laughs> disagreed, and that's what started the, the chasm that we – I mean, Martin Luther could disagree so much with the Catholic Church, he defected, which in his time yeah. was like crazy progressive. So right. because of, of that division, because of seeing it differently, <laughs> we have what we have now. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying like I don't think that, that people would see more eye to eye. I think that we're going to continue to be divided because there are – Today in this world, right now, there are thousands of people who know the scripture inside and out, all with different views. They're, they're not aligned. So do you think we should do less study to be more no. united? 
I think no. I think that ultimately, <laughs> but that's the logical conclusion from what you're saying. No, you said not. you want unity. You said you want unity. No, I think that the Bible. No, I think that I think that the Bible is so big and huge that you almost need those different viewpoints to kind of find like the full picture of what it's saying. So, so we're all right. Um, <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> we got a There's new so ager on our podcast. I'm no. not. Uh, don't put words in my mouth. Don't twist it like how you twisted Bethel's words. Well, what a heretic. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, wouldn't you guys agree, though, like because you have good people in your life who know more about Scripture or who have different backgrounds on how they read that book, it's helped you be like, oh, I never thought about that part of Scripture like that before. Yeah. But again, that's I feel like what you're I feel like we're agreeing, but we're like disagreeing at the same time. I think what you're saying is that everyone having slightly different interpretations or coming to different conclusions as a whole gets us closer to the truth. Is that kind of what you're saying? I don't know. It's a quarter to 12. I'm tired. I'm not <laughs> sure what I'm saying anymore. I mean, uh, I don't think though, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, and let, again, we'll use a very simple example. Apology Radio and Bethel are on, you can't get them farther apart about like their theological belief systems in almost every respect. Yeah. So I'm, I don't really know what you do about that. You so know? And I don't, I don't know if you could change Bill Johnson's mind or if you can change Jeff Durbin's mind. I don't know. But I think but I, our point, sorry, Jordan, I think <laughs> what we're saying is they have large followings of people that only listen to their teachings mm-hmm. where oh, if, oh, okay. if their followers were more like the people that Jordan was talking about and investigated scripture and looked into the Bible and did their own individual study apart from their pastor's influence, I think we would have more people that would defect from both extremes and find common ground in the middle where we would all agree. That's a good way to put it. I got to think about it. I think you're right. <laughs> it is, it is oh, something to think about. I, mean, I, I don't. <laughs> I'll put it this way, right? Like, if, let's say I'm like, I study the scripture and I discover whatever about like, let's hell. I'm like, guys, I don't know if this hell thing is like, you know, my question is like, how far down that rabbit hole do you really want to go? Because like to a degree, these big groups also kind of keeps people in line with like some kind of a traditional viewpoint of scripture as well yeah yeah because every now and then every now and then you meet that guy who's like i don't go to church anymore i just read the bible for myself and study it and i interpret it on my own and i have the craziest beliefs you've ever heard of it's definitely a combination of both yeah (laughs) we're we're definitely not saying yeah we're definitely not saying go off into by yourself and seclusion tired and just reading things all the wrong way so this this uh, could be me being wacky you had to ask the question Rob. yeah I did. Can, I end this, can i end this podcast now people aren't even listening to this at this point they're all tuned out it all of just us talking that's fine totally. i enjoy let it. me end this bad boy everyone if you got this far pat yourself on the back because frankly this is a pretty chaotic episode we kind of jumped around we did our best to play clips of this I don't know, interview with Jeff Durbin and Lindsay. And we probably we probably picked like clips that are totally out of context. So go listen to the podcast yourself and come to your own conclusions. But thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, Robert. Right. I'm so All tired. Right. Good night, everyone. All right. Thank you for tuning in and have a great night. God bless you all. 
Thanks for checking out the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we'd love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.